0: From Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower.
1: The focus on clean transportation, particularly electrification, is the natural evolution of our clean energy policies and our climate policies. We have opportunities now with the abundance of Uh, renewable sources, particularly lower costs, to now fuel and displace oil in the transportation sector.
0: Jay Griffin is Commissioner with the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission. He spoke with David Hochschild with the California Energy Commission, Shili Kimura, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Planning at Hawaiian Electric, and GreenBiz Editorial Director Heather Clancy. They sat down to talk about how electrifying transportation can help the clean energy revolution move Fast. Let's listen in,
2: Commissioner. I would love to start with you, Commissioner Hochschild. And uh, you alluded alluded to the uh, the electrification of almost everything last night, and and California has absolutely set in place um, a framework for doing that. So, in the context of California, what does that mean? Like, is it what loads are you looking to electrify, and how quickly?
3: I said almost everything. Can you hear me? Okay. Is this on? Yeah, Yeah. I said almost everything, but I do think aviation and shipping will be the very last to go. But the low-hanging fruit right now um, starts with electric vehicles. So in California, we have just established a new statewide goal of 5 million electric vehicles by 2030. And last week, we passed the 400,000 mark. So we're 402,000 on the roads today. We're adding about 12,000 electric vehicles a month. And we've also set a target of 250,000 electric vehicle chargers by 2025. Uh, that infrastructure is critical. But along with that, uh, I, I'm actually very excited about the potential of electric heat pumps to displace natural gas-fired um, water heaters. And we're seeing some momentum there. And then the electrification of rail. Uh, we have um, a diesel rail line that you know connects San Francisco to Silicon Valley. That's being converted to electric and we're building High-speed rail in California, we spent $3 billion on that already, and the commitment's been made that will be a fully electric system powered 100% uh, with renewables.
2: You, uh, I want We're gonna get into transportation quite extensively in a moment, but um, I just learned something about Hawaii and, and the, the electrification of certain building functions. I'm wondering, so you mentioned the, the heat pumps um, and so forth. Tell me what's going on in Hawaii that could, could be um, beneficial to other states, um, both Jay and Shelley. I'll start with Jay. Sure, I, I, uh,
1: when we were talking about this, I, one of the things that we noted is that we actually have a very high rate of electrification already. And so I think our, our focus more on how can we make those existing loads um, you know, facilitate more controllable loads, flexible loads, and help them really integrate the other types of renewables into the system um, and better match the renewable energy supply versus just kind of switching between different types of fuels.
2: And obviously, that happened because you don't have like in where I live in New Jersey, like natural gas pipelines everywhere. But what what allowed that electrification to happen? It, it, you know Give us some context. Um, what needed to ha- what did you have in place, or did it was it just naturally part of where you evolved to? I think it's
4: just a natural part of, of how the um, economy and the population evolved in Hawaii. Um, The natural gas um, infrastructure is not as robust as it is on the mainland, Um, and so a lot of buildings are already electric. Um, There's some CHP out there, uh, but for the most part, um, we're looking at how to use buildings and building management systems and through our demand response program, which is top of mind right now because we have an RFP out and we're expecting bids back. But, um, we, um, are leveraging aggregators demand response aggregators to help us aggregate all of the the different end uses, whether it's buildings or homes or whatever it may be to provide our system operators, grid services. So it creates more um, opportunities for those flexible loads. You know, just to to build on that, I think
3: we are changing the sort of natural order of how energy has worked for a long time. It used to be that, you know, electric demand drives power generation. You turn on a factory and someone has to fire up a power plant and there's going to be some subset of that load that switches and actually renewable generation is going to drive electric demand. We can be flexible. Uh, particularly as you get longer and longer range electric vehicles when you charge and when you heat water and when you cool buildings. And we need to be uh, pushing these smart devices, as Jay mentioned, as much as possible. And that means, for example, with rooftop solar, as as another example, you, you don't want dumb solar, you want smart solar, which means you have to have telemetry and voltage regulation, and those things that can contribute to grid stability because every single one of these devices and technologies has to be a good citizen of the grid. And I think, actually, if you do that right, actually the more you electrify, the more stable uh, the grid becomes. There's more levers at your, at
1: your disposal.
2: I thought you were gonna jump in on that, well, sorry.
1: Just, uh, I'm <laughs> in complete agreement. I think that's a lot of, if you look at um, some of the thinking behind the new smart export program, both in you know, how that's managing the solar system, but the types of incentives it provides for shifting and managing load to, to uh, to coincide with when the generation's available. So something that I, mean, I think we've been in the lead in here in Hawaii and continuing to learn lessons.
2: So here in, in Hawaii, um, the mayors have all committed to this clean transportation uh, ideal. Um, there's different things happening um, now, behind the scenes to start enabling that. Shelley, you, your company just filed a, a big um, I don't know what you call it, a plan, a, a roadmap um, for electric vehicles. So can you give us a, a sense of, um, you know, what the near, so where are you focusing in the near term, right, um, and and why, why is that the focus?
4: Yeah, thank you uh, for asking that and recognizing the plan we filed, and it's actually more than just electric vehicles, we look at electric transportation, so that it includes Vehicles it includes airports and ports and um, rail is also part of the entire portfolio so um, it's more than just um, light-duty vehicles and passenger vehicles um, I think the why question is is probably the more important question and then I can go into the near-term um, I think for us it's a really significant priority because there's huge opportunities with the synergies between electrifying transportation and um, moving, the, moving electricity to 100% renewables. So as we go down this path of 100% RPS, electric transportation will actually help us get there. And as we get there, will help clean transportation. So they, there's a really nice symbiotic relationship there. Um, when we started doing our roadmap, one of the first things we asked ourselves is how, how is this going to contribute to that path and test our hypothesis on that? So one thing is that it's going to reduce the price of electricity for all customers. Because as you increase the sales um, that in our, in our decoupled regulatory model, that actually reduces the price for all customers. You're spreading you know, fixed costs or fixed revenues over um, more kilowatt hour sales. So while some people think we have an interest in doing it to increase sales and increase revenues, that's not part of the equation for us in Hawaii. Um, The other thing is that as we can get electric vehicles to be charged during the day, or electric transportation to be charged during the day when solar energy is abundant, that actually helps us integrate more solar as well. And then as we were talking about demand response, it creates more and uses for demand response, which also helps us as we have more variable generation, we need demand to start following generation. Yeah. Go ahead, yes, Jay.
1: Yeah, I'd just like to to follow up on a couple of things. I mean, when I look at this, particularly um, a lot of the policy interest, the focus on clean transportation, particularly electrification is the natural evolution of our clean energy policies and our climate policies we have opportunities now with the abundance of uh, renewable sources, particularly lower cost, to now fuel and displace oil in the transportation sector. So 10 years ago, um, the, the lesser known part of the Clean Energy Initiative were all the transportation goals, which I think in Dawn's presentation yesterday, she's shown how we've fallen far short. I, I mean, I, when I look at where we stand now, I think we are poised to make significant progress in the next 10 years um because of the the new types of vehicles um, and technologies available but there has been a very significant shift in the in the thinking and i think the leadership from the utilities Um, when i started at the commission i think there was a very a reluctance when we brought up this topic and i think that has changed and just as a, um, wanted to have one piece of news here the, I mean, the commission has taken, uh, we'll be filing or, or issuing an order, I believe later today or tomorrow, uh, taking some further procedural steps with the plans that the companies have put forward. And for now we're asking for comments from the public, particularly focused on what people see as near time, uh, near term priorities for the plans. And we would expect that companies will keep coming forward with some of the pilots and new proposals. Um, And maybe as we go further, I can add some of my perspectives on what I've seen so far and and some ideas there.
2: Okay. Uh, And one one of the things that you've all sort of implied is that this goes hand in hand with the with the the distributed grid, if you will. So what you know, I'm, I'm curious about a couple things. Number one is what's missing from the grid right now that will make make, help this happen like and how do we get there because it it, it seems like there's a lot of smart um, automation technology that's needed to help kind of balance these loads how do you prioritize these loads like how do you decide that these cars are going to get this chart you know how do you get to a place where it's automating and prioritizing loads the way the people want it to be and not necessarily you know, when someone happens to plug in, and it's convenient for that person, I mean, how, how what's the what's the thought on that prioritization?
4: So hopefully this answers your question. We a follow-up. <laughs> so we've been looking at a distributed grid for a long time, and and in our planning processes, we've had to evolve to um, account for that. And. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more we're trying to account for what customer choices are and what customer behaviors will be, and that's a very different equation in our plan- long-term planning. And so electric vehicles is one more addition to that. So we spend a lot of time um, looking at what the forecast for electric vehicles could be and where they could be. Um, and so that's part of our planning process to determine what the upgrades on distribution needs to be, what the generating capabilities need to be.
3: How are the new- oh, go ahead. Well, just to end that, you know, I think that you're over time going to change what hours of the day you want people to conserve uh, energy or not. Obviously, in California, we've seen a huge shift in the last 10 years. It used to be the middle of the day was the peak and they want everyone to conserve. Now we have this huge glut of surplus solar at the middle of the day. And I think what we need to do is insist that every device that's connecting to the grid, whether it's an electric heat pump or an EV, um, has telemetry and voltage regulation where you can, Um, control uh, and help guide that that load in a way that supports the grid and so that's the main push right now is to insist on smart um, capabilities the other point I want to make just right now the things that we can do that will be very significant uh, around new construction so one of the things we just did is we adopted um, we have codes that require homes to be EV ready which means a dedicated 240 volt circuit Uh, And a conduit run, we're not requiring the wire, we're not requiring the EV charger, but we're requiring that so you don't have to then have the added expense of adding a new electric panel that's larger in size when you get an EV. You wanna make it, and we just did the same thing for electric heat pumps. Again, dedicated circuit um, with the conduit so that it it makes it, uh, you know, probably saves $1,500 on the cost of that installation when you get to that point. And so just making the prospect of switching as friction-free as you can possibly make it, I think is
1: really important too.
2: How can Hawaii move to support that? I would add,
1: it's um, not necessarily what's missing from the grid. I would say it's more what's missing from the marketplace presently. Because I I think where these are going to come together, or where it's emerging, I mean, it really comes down to the the types of price signals customers get, when they're going to charge, when they would rather prefer to store energy, and the types of programs they can participate in. I mean, these are all the things that we've been working on and evolving and I think, I mean, we're catching up to where we need to be and the type and all of those options that will be available um, as we see greater customer adoption. So I think, I mean, the, from what I've seen, the technology is ready to be out there, but we're um, and we're poised for lots of uptake, and these are all the things that we're working on.
3: And I just add, what I said yesterday, I, I feel very strongly you don't need to be a big state to make a big difference. Hawaii is pioneering models that... Uh, everyone is watching. We're watching very closely in California. I mean, obviously as an island in the middle of the ocean, you don't have the benefit of being able to rely on uh, generation from other states. And if you can, I mean, getting to 100% renewables and setting that as the goal was a very significant uh, feat. And, you know, we're wishing you all the success because if you can do it, I think any state can do it.
4: How about this this concept of an integrated grid, and we've been talking about this over the last day or so, but we're all trying to figure it out together. the entire industry is trying to figure that out together. And so this idea of trying things and experimentation and um, starting small managing risk and then learning from that. So we're not going to have all the answers up front, but some of these things we're moving ahead and seeing now, how is this going to work and let's adjust from there Um, along with the advancement of technologies because that's just going to continue to evolve. The business models in the market will continue to evolve. And so, how we plan for our grid needs to account for that. And so, that's all part, those kinds of concepts are part of the grid modernization strategy um, that we recently filed. And actually, uh, credit to many others in our company that um, they just got an award from SIPA for that.
1: But I just want to. This topic area in itself is one that is, has a ton of complexity, uh, a lot of uncertainty about what will happen in the future, and we face that with almost every one of these topics we deal with in Hawaii being on the leading edge. One of my experiences dealing with this is, I mean, to the extent that we can do exactly what Shelly's talking about. How do we basically continue try new programs, pilots, learn by doing, Um, is a better way to de-risk how we tackle and address that rather than in to we've had a couple experiences where we tended to just ask continue to ask questions about what may happen worry about if we get things wrong Um, I think our perspective as decision makers has evolved to how do we just continue I mean we're going to keep trying we're going to learn there's going to be some failures I appreciated what I heard Josh say yesterday about when we do get things wrong, please write a letter to the editor in support. Because um, I, I just I think we're gonna get we're gonna move faster and more flexibly with that approach, rather than trying to solve the big picture puzzle every time because the picture is too big and complex.
2: We're gonna go to we're gonna go to sidebar in a moment, um, but I want to ask one other question before that, and that is um, we were just chatting backstage about. Uh, the charging infrastructure and you just alluded to the, the um, you know making sure that certain buildings are charging ready and and we know that uh, it's a chicken and egg thing the, the charging infrastructure is there people are the more it's there the more it's there in, in multi residential buildings multi-use buildings and in places where you know people don't you know frankly might not have as much money as others um, all behind all that uh, the, as the loads kind of move around, you've got a surplus in the middle of the day. What role does energy storage play in this, right? We don't really have, I haven't heard so much about policies here in Hawaii for energy storage, but what role will energy storage need to play in this electrification of everything?
4: I'm gonna start with you, Shelly. Sure, so um, storage has a a much bigger role in our total portfolio. So we're gonna have storage um, no matter what as we move to 100% RPS. As part of our electric transportation strategy, we're trying to create opportunities for workplace charging because it's really important to get people to charge during the day, and that will be the lowest cost option, and that alleviates some of the need for more expensive storage. So to the extent we can minimize the amount of storage we have, we wanna try and do that through when people actually charge. The other thing we talked about backstage was some of these superchargers and how that's gonna impact the grid. So storage will be needed in those cases to help mitigate the impact on the grid. In Hawaii, um, we want to try and encourage people to be charging at work where the car is going to be sitting. So you don't necessarily need as many of these superchargers that will have greater impacts and then therefore greater costs on the grid. But we do recognize that the market um, will start to demand that as well. So
3: I think the energy storage industry is kind of where the solar industry was 10 years ago. I think the future is very bright. They got a lot more cost reduction ahead of them. But you look, where, where is solar today? It's the dominant source of new electric uh, generation in the world. And uh, you know, this next few months, we're gonna hit 1 million solar rooftops in California. It's really, truly is, has arrived. Uh, and I think one benefit by the way of storage is that it is riding the cost reduction curve that EVs are helping, uh, but you're kind of piggybacking with laptop computers. And so on. when you're all on lithium ion train, Uh, you get the benefit of that. I think for California, where it's a little different with Hawaii, we have a storage mandate, 1.3 gigawatts by 2020. But to some extent, we're also also working on regionalization. And if we have a regional electric grid, that serves as a form of storage because we can share our surplus renewable generation when we need to and and make use of other states. So um, storage and regionalization are are, uh, sort of um, uh, different ways to achieve the same goal. Uh, let me one one final point. Um, we were talking about the ultra fast charging, and I was mentioning uh, some news that's, that's recent, which is Electrify America, which is the entity formed after the VW settlement. They have just developed the fastest charger on the market. So it's through UL, it does twenty miles of charge in one minute, two hundred miles of charge in ten minutes right? Which is not so different than going to a gas station. And that's the kind of thing that's a big hit to the grid because it's a 350 KW charger, but that you could see paired with storage, uh, so that the impact of the grid is not so great. And that would I think really help facilitate, uh, faster deployment of electric vehicles.
1: Well, I'll just add, I mean, if you look at the numbers, actually, historically, we've been a, le- a leader in kind of per capita levels of storage. It's, it's been initially driven by interconnection, renewable projects. Uh, moved into, I mean, more broadly into just the, the needs because of the uh, the time of day when energy is available. But we've also seen it moved into into the distributed side. As I, my look on things, I think we have the highest proportion of, you know, customer-cited rooftop systems with storage. I mean, the proportion is, is far ahead of anyone else. So that market is starting to see, you know, the beginning side of, of its uh, of its takeoff, so I, I mean we, and we're gonna. I mean, and we are just at the beginning of this. I mean, we're gonna see lots of other forms, as well as thermal storage, um, other. I mean, there's other type of medium out there. So I mean, we're we're it will be a big part of our future here, and it already is.
2: Excellent, excellent. Not just batteries, Elaine. A question from the sidebar. Getting really good questions on Twitter. Um, one that's really relevant to what you just said, Jay, is um, what are? It's I guess the question is, what are your views on the risks of electrification related to resilience? Is distributed energy resources really the answer? Hmm. Resilience and electrification. Is to the, is, to is me a, or the group, or to anyone, yeah,
1: the group. Go, go. go. Well, I, I mean, this is a, there's a few angles to this. It's a great question. I mean, think of this as an island. I mean, uh, the resilience of our systems. Period. Is I mean, we're we're I mean, think of a hurricane. Think of a natural disaster. Think of what's already going on in the Big Island. Uh, are existing systems highly vulnerable to those kinds of events. So the ability to fuel ourselves with electricity produced here—not just to have electricity, but to fuel our transportation systems—I mean that—that seems to me a much more resilient system than the one that we have today. And I mean the one that we're—I mean—and that's where we're headed. Yeah,
3: thunderous agreement. I think the more you electrify, um, and the more distributed the system becomes, the more reliable uh, and resilient it becomes. And also, just to make the larger point reducing our reliance on oil makes us safer as a world. I mean, how much blood and treasure has America lost fighting for, in wars uh, where oil was a factor? I do think, um, you know, system-wide, it is better to be more reliant on renewables and to be more distributed. Yep.
4: Yeah, and so just to put an exclamation point on that, uh, I think, you know, one of the things people need to recognize is that for gasoline, all of that needs to get shipped in, and we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So, you know, just emphasizing what Jay was saying, we're islands, and so no matter what, we're in a really precarious situation. And um, if you're gonna have a tsunami or anything like that, the ports are gonna get shut down. And being able to bring in all that um, petroleum is gonna be difficult.
2: One lightning round question with a minute left um, is how do we make this equitable? How do we do this in a way that it's not going to penalize certain communities and, and, you know, and and pull everyone, pull and inspire everyone. Jay. Uh,
1: My answer is more opportunity, meaning let's focus on what what are the, the new types of programs, new options that a broader set of the community can participate in, whether it's electric buses that, you know, all types of citizens ride, community solar, something that we've been working on here for quite a while, all, I mean, all the th- lots of things that we have working on now, but continue to. I think uh, pathways for
3: jobs and the infrastructure is a huge amount of infrastructure that needs to be built out to support electric vehicles and all the rest of it. And having programs targeted at disadvantaged communities for those resources are, are really important, as are having additional incentives for lower income uh, participants to be able to get higher incentives to, to adopt. Uh, electric vehicles and particularly with mass transit, electric buses I think um, are, are particularly important.
4: And Shelly, one quick response. Yeah, so uh, fundamental to that is rate design, but if we're speaking specifically about transportation, that was the, the design of what we did in our roadmap so that it benefits everybody. And we're also focused on um, public charging infrastructure that um, everybody can access, multi-unit dwellings as well and um, workplace charging so all of that gives access to more people we're also focused on transit so electric buses creates access um, to all as well as uh, car sharing great so
2: thank you thank you to shelly kimura david hochschild and jay griffin thank you
0: You've been listening to Jay Griffin, David Hochschild, Sheely Kimura, and Heather Clancy at the Verge Hawaii Conference in June 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash stage While you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.